is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Hey, where are we now in real estate? Well, you know what? August has started off with so many titles in the news about real estate. You know, we would be remiss if we were not talking about Vancouver. The foreign nationals, what is going to happen there? Is the Vancouver market going to collapse? Also, hey, you know what's going on up in cottage country? It's pretty active. And um, I've got some special guests that are going to be joining me today. We're going to be talking about a lot of markets. Michelle Kelly, she's editor of Cottage Life magazine. She will be joining me in a little while. And um, we're fortunate enough to have actually David Ebby. Uh, he's with the BC provincial government. And uh, we're going to be talking, obviously, about how this is going to impact Vancouver. And also one of our regular contributors, Romana King. I'm going to get her take on it because it's always nice to have her. She's from Money Sense magazine, senior editor. Always great to have Romana join us, and we're going to have lots to talk about today. But uh, let me give you my take on a few things, because, you know, I've been sitting back uh, for the last few weeks, kind of anticipating after they, they turn around and made the disclosure that BC is going to turn around and put a tax on foreign nationals uh, when purchasing a property of 15%. So, if Vancouver's looking at an average sale price of around $2 million, what they're saying is that uh, they're now paying $300,000 on closing extra. So that's not your land transfer tax. That's an extra tax. So here's the thing, though. This is where I got to tell you, and I think a lot of the realtors out there may agree, there's absolutely no notice really given to this fact. And for those people that actually in Vancouver and in BC that sold their properties, let's say a month ago or a month and a half ago, with the idea that they're going to sell the property and then buy something else. And I'm talking about people that are Canadians, normal Canadian registrations, but they turned around, they were taking advantage of the market by selling their property do you know there was absolutely no warning as of August 2nd, this tax is going into place. And it didn't matter if you'd already sold your home, but had not closed. So it was the idea of closing the property. And this is where I think probably the BC government was unfair in this situation. There was really no warning. It wasn't like they said, okay, for the next 60 days, you know what, you must close by this date. And that would have given people time to advance. I mean, really a three-week notice, basically, which was given. And this could create a problem. Now, we haven't seen the fallout yet. We've we've heard about it. We've heard that the BC market, some people are anticipating it tanking to this effect. Um, I'm not going to agree with that. I think the stats are going to speak for themselves. I don't think that there was that many, you know, I don't think every property was being sold to foreign buyers. So I think that we're going to see an adjustment. I do think that we're going to see the numbers down, but that's not going to play out probably until, you know, the numbers at the end of August, September, and October are really going to tell us how much this is going to have an effect. But the natural rippling effect that I found was, of course, you know, I love being uh, a guest on all the shows here at News Talk 1010. And, you know, we've been having a lot of discussions with a lot of the, uh, you know, daytime hosts this this past few weeks. And the biggest thing is, is that, hey, listen, is it going to have a rippling effect in Toronto? So is Toronto going to all of a sudden have a surge of foreign buyers? Now, let's call a spade a spade. Most people know that when we were talking foreign buyers in Vancouver, they immediately said China. 
So they said Chinese buyers, you know, people from China are coming in with money. They're dumping it into the Canadian real estate, being Vancouver, and this is where they're all buying it up. A lot of people were saying speculation. I think a lot of people were looking for safety of their money, so they're throwing it in from China, and they figure that's safe. Now, of course, the real question is: um, Is the provincial government here going to look at implementing this same? Tax. So, are we going to turn around in the next short while? Turn around and say to all um, foreign nationals, if you're going to be buying in Toronto, you're going to pay the same tax. So, the real question is, will that have a huge adverse effect to the Toronto market? When we analyze the numbers, and that's what I try to do on a regular basis, the foreign buyer buyers are not as nearly uh, predominant here in Toronto. We've got a lot of people that are buying properties for themselves. You, our listeners, know that you've been out fighting the the multiple offers, but a lot of times you're not fighting a foreign national. You're fighting each other. Your family's going, saying you want to make that your primary residence. This is why the real estate has done so well here in Toronto, because it's actually people that are you know Canadian uh, citizens that are staying put. So we're not seeing the same speculation level. But here is the biggest concern. It's the condominium market. This is where there's a lot of concern coming in. So could we overheat the Canadian market of condominiums in Toronto with foreign nationals? We don't see it yet. But, um, you know, it's it's too soon. I don't want to give a knee-jerk reaction. It's only been about five days since this is actually taking effect. And if that's the case, we're going to keep our watchful eye on it. And I'll keep letting you know when the numbers come out and see if we have a huge uptick in condominium sales. This is the brand new development. And this is where everybody's fearing the speculation. But here's, here's my biggest comment. It would be... If we were so worried about Toronto happening, why wasn't it happening before? Because Toronto has actually been a lot lower price in our condominium market, and there was a lot more available in Toronto for the last two years than there ever has been in Vancouver. So why weren't they naturally coming this way? So is it the forcing of a tax of 15% going to force all, all these people that were buying in Vancouver to all of a sudden come to Toronto? Why weren't they buying in Toronto in the first place? And was it all speculation? So... The real question is, is what's going to happen over the next 60 to 90 days? It's going to be interesting. I'm pretty sure a lot of the developers are licking their chops right now saying, hey, listen, now Toronto can be the number one uh, purchasing market. You know, Vancouver's been leading the way, but can Toronto do it? And, you know, when we take a look at areas such as Markham, Aurora, Vaughan, you know, a lot of the northern part of the GTA, increases this year have been incredible. And I, I'm pretty sure a lot of you are sitting there listening to the news saying, you know, 20%, 22%, 24%, you know, 18%. You know, average increases in Toronto, 16% in the GTA overall. These are huge numbers. And when is it going to burst? You know, and let's talk about the bubble bursting. Uh, Fortunately, I was uh, I was on um, uh, Jerry Agar's show, which was uh, highlighted by uh, Barb DiGiulio this week, and Barb and I were talking about interest rates. And, you know, it's amazing how many people are doomsaying the market. It's almost, if it's not negative, you can't write about it. So, if this show was stri- strictly based on, hey, everybody, you know what, real estate's doing great. Everybody should go about their way and everybody can, you know, like you hear the Andy Griffiths music in the background, you know, everybody's a little bit of whistling and happy and everybody's skipping. Um, the show would die. Um, so would every news article because it can't all be good news. Um, you know, it's almost that people are trying to anticipate the bubble because they then can say, I told you so. Um, for those of you out there, I'm going to be, I'm going to caution you. The I told you so of a bubble bursting may not come A as soon as you think or as bad as you think. 
because there's so many other factors in play right now. We're watching some serious stuff happening in the market and more importantly in the world economy. And with the interest rates the way they are, we're going to be kind of locked in for a little while. So one of the questions that Barb asked me, because there was an article that said, if interest rates go up, virtually everybody loses their home. It was an interesting article. And I found that, you know what, I call it fear mongering, because that's exactly what I think they were doing. The, the article said that if interest rates went up, everybody would be, you know, out of pocket six or $700 per month more, where they can only afford 200 At the end of the day, what they were basically saying is five years from now, if you go to renew your mortgage... Okay, and the new interest rates are there, you're not going to be able to afford it. But here's a part of the equation they forgot to put in, and I want everybody to remember this. In five years, if you've taken a standard, let's say, 25 or 20-year amortization, your mortgage has paid itself down by 15 to 25%. Okay, that's the one thing you have to remember. Your mortgage gets smaller over time, not the same. It doesn't remain the same unless you used strictly a line of credit and you're paying interest only. So one of the things people need to realize is that if you're going to do a renewal five years from now and interest rates are up, that means that you're also renewing a lower mortgage. So if you put, if you decide to say, you know, I'm going to refinance, being a brand new mortgage, you reset the clock, then you're going to refinance at a lower number. If that is done, and let's just take 2.5% as a norm today as interest rates, your monthly payment is not going to be that much different at, let's say, four and a quarter to four and a half percent interest five years from now because your mortgage is lower. So these are the kind of things that you need to understand. Watch out the fear mongering. And again, of course, as you know, I always turn around and try to encourage everybody, make sure you do not overspend. Don't overextend yourselves. Make sure you're buying something that is within your means. Understand that there is going to be changes in the future. And yes, five years from now, our interest rates should be up. How much? I can't tell you. But reality says... You know, 1% would be at least a, a, a benchmark. Could it be 2%? Yep, that could be reality. Is it going to be 6%? Not likely. The entire Canadian economy would absolutely get crushed. And virtually the government would have to take back every single home. So I don't I don't see it that way. And I think that most of the uh, economic experts would agree when we take a look at numbers. Where can they go? Where will they go? And the reality says that, hey, opening up this thing to, to increased interest rates, it's going to happen, but not over the next year or two. So I want everybody to keep that in mind. When you're doing your calculations, understand they will go up, but so will your debt go down and you need to turn around. Stop the fear mongering. I would ask everybody out there with a lot of these writers, stop just going for the negative. You can go for the negative, but explain it properly. Don't turn around and sit there and tell everybody that they're going to lose their home if interest rates go up because they forget one thing. They're paying down debt and the debt's not as much. So Sorry, that's just my opinion. I want everybody kind of get kind of get a better grasp on it because when I read articles like this, I get really frustrated because they're not a hundred percent accurate. Now, speaking of being accurate, taking a look at the Toronto market, um, you know, some great sales going on. Uh, it continues to you know, to plot along. There are multiple offers, but it's kind of leveling off a little. So this increase in price, what we've seen this year, has been very, very strong. But ultimately, in the end, we also have you know buyers that are pent up, lots of demand, and it continues to move forward. So I think that, you know what, for summer, we're going to look back at 2016 and say, very solid, good numbers. Will 2016 end up being a good year? I believe so. The real catch, of course, is that our Canadian market is going to be adjusted because Vancouver, this will truly tell us if with this new um, 
rate, uh, the new tax rate put in in Vancouver, it's going to tell us how buoyant the market really is. And so we're going to see, we might see a bit of an adjustment, but the numbers are going to be interesting. So as I said, we've got some special guests coming up today and uh, I love talking about cottages and uh, I don't know what your take is on it, but you know what? Again, I've got Michelle Kelly. She's going to be joining me and we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the marketplace out in the cottage country, a couple of cottages that recently sold. We're seeing some big numbers and uh, a little bit later in the hour, I'm going to have David Ebby and he's going to be joining me from BC and we're going to talk about uh, what his impression is of what's going on there. So folks, uh, you're tuned to uh, Simply Real Estate. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater, and we've got lots to talk about today. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. So, hey, listen, you know, um, as I uh, as I was speaking a little earlier, you know, it's always nice to have guests come on the show that uh, are experts in, you know, definitely certain areas. And one of my, uh, one of the things that are uh, near and dear to my heart, of course, is the cottage country. Uh, as you know, you've uh, heard some of my guests come on with me here and we talk about cottages and, and the lifestyle of it. I think it's a wonderful thing. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, Michelle Kelly, she's editor of Cottage Life Magazine, is now joining me. Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. There's lots of things swirling around right now um, with cottage cottages, talking about markets, people changing and doing exchanges. What do you think? What um, what are some of the points that people should be concerned about? You know, there's lots of articles. You and I were uh, you know, having a chat offline about, you know, recent articles about things. And, and maybe perhaps you can shed a little bit of light for us, to our mm-hmm. listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think, you know... The, the cottages that get a lot of attention are the kinds of cottages up uh, maybe in Muskoka or in other areas in little pockets of Ontario cottage country and, um, you know, maybe, you know, beyond in areas such as Whistler or places around Calgary. And, and the places that get a lot of attention are those, you know, grand places that are $7 million and that have tennis courts and indoor pools and all of that. And really, you know, I always hear those stories. And I think, well, okay, that's one thing, but it's a very small uh, pocket of, of the market. It's a very niche market, which in an already niche market of cottages. Uh, I think the typical place is really a simple structure by a lake, uh, you know, probably we're moving a little bit further away from that rustic cabin in the woods, although there are still many, many of those, um, you know, as there's trends for people to have more comforts and year-round use. But still, the typical Ontario cottage is not that place with, a, you know, million-dollar price tag and a tennis court in the backyard. It's still the kind of place where you go with your family every weekend, you putter around fixing things, you sit on the dock, you watch the stars, you enjoy the loons. That is still the typical cottage experience, and that is within reach for many, many people beyond who can just purchase a a $1 million cottage. It doesn't matter kind of what the cottage is up on the land. When you're sitting on the dock or a lake, there's really no uh, price differential there. I mean, sitting on a lake on a dock, it doesn't matter the cottage. It's the experience of the lake and the water. And and I, I think a lot of people, probably based on what's happening in the marketplace, as you mentioned, we've got a lot of these cottages that, you know, they're, they're very grandiose. They are, they basically are resorts to a certain extent. And, you know, the old cottage, you know, the old kind of, uh, you know, small, small three bedroom, maybe one bathroom. Sometimes they have still out, have outhouses, that kind of cottage. Those, in my opinion, that's, that's how, you know, I started out as a kid. And I found that that experience is probably the best. I mean, you're mosquitoes all the time, even inside. But, you know, those are the true cottage experiences. And if people are looking for those, you know, 
again, we've got such a diverse group of, of areas in Ontario. You know, we, we've, you know, people segment and, and say, you know, the ultimate place to be is either the Muskokas or, let's say, Collingwood. But there's so much more. And, and I think that people can almost get a, a bad impression that they a, can't afford to buy it or rent it. And in the past, we, we mentioned, you know, maybe maybe renting in some areas first before you decide to buy. Yeah, I mean, I think you've brought up a lot of good points there. I think I think one thing you said that is, that is really true is when you're sitting on the dock and you're looking out at the lake, whatever is behind you on the shore is kind of not important, right? Um, people go to the cottage for the most part to get away from it all, to get closer to nature. And that's an experience that you can have regardless of the kind of cottage that you have. What is a true cottage? Well, I mean, a true cottage is what you want it to be. I think there are people who will say a true cottage couldn't be something that has electricity. A true cottage, you sit by candlelight. Uh, and there are other people who say, no, uh, my cottage is just as true as anyone, even though, you know, we have a hot tub and, and we have, uh, you know, we're fully on the grid and have every luxury of home. And that's as much a cottage to them as it is to, to the next guy. So I think, you know, that those are really important points to keep in mind. Um, you bring up renting, which is, you know, another exploding trend right now. Renting uh, is a huge thing for cottagers, both owners, potential and potential owners, and people who never intend to own. Uh, we, we did a recent survey with our magazine that said that 50% of our um, respondents have either rented their cottage in the past or think thinking of renting their cottage in the past. The other 50% will never rent. They, they, they're not interested in having anyone come and they hate when other people rent out their cottages. So it's a, it's a real, um, it can be a divisive issue, but at, at the same time, it is a way for many people to be able to afford their places, uh, especially those who've inherited and, um, you know, are, are looking at rising property taxes, are looking at the cost of real estate in the city rising, and, and it makes owning a cottage manageable if they rent it out. Um, and also people who flat out cannot afford, um, again, largely, I think, due to the fact that prices in the city are so high, they can't afford to buy a cottage the way, you know, previous generations did. So they rent and they go up for two weeks every year and they, you know, can be very respectful. The majority of them, I believe, are. Um, and they, you know, they enjoy the cottage experience just as anyone else would. And a lot of those people go to the same place every single summer. And, you know, that's, they build their traditions and they feel very attached to those places. So renting is certainly a a huge trend and I think makes the experience um, accessible to a lot more people. Yeah. And and one of the things that also we're seeing is a bit of a growing trend with people inheriting cottages. Uh, You Mm -hmm. and I have had had a conversation about this in the past and just a kind of a quick overview with it. Um, A lot of times people don't know what they're inheriting. There is capital gains or there is an inheritance tax attached to it. And sometimes you're dealing with multiple family members. So that's becoming more and more common, but also more and more difficult, isn't it? Yeah, well, well, for sure. I mean, if you think about um, a cottage that was purchased in the 1950s, say, and I'll just pull a number out of the hat for, I don't know, $50,000, and that place all these years later is now worth $550,000. So, of course, your property taxes are much higher. If, you're, if your parents purchased it and they're looking to sell it, well, they're going to take a big hit on the capital gains. Who's going to pay that? So we encourage uh, at Cottage Life to, um, we encourage all cottagers to create a succession plan, to be thinking of these things way far in advance so that they're not saddling their children with, um, you know, the problem of, of, of inheriting a place that they, in fact, cannot afford to own and keep and maintain and run. Um, and, and that's the whole financial side of it. But the part that I think sometimes gets neglected is the emotional 
emotional side of it. How do you handle that when there's, you know, one parent, there's three kids, those kids all have different uh, financial capabilities. Um, perhaps some of them use the cottage more than others. Perhaps some have kids and some don't. So that creates some lifestyle differences. How do you plan for your family long-term to use that cottage happily um, together or not, or maybe you're sharing it, you know, over the summer in different ways. But it's really important to be thinking about that far out because to try and solve those problems while you're inside of them and while they're happening is really difficult. It is really difficult. A lot of stress and pressure. Well, a lot of stress and pressure. Exactly. So Michelle, what edition right now is on newsstands for everyone? So right now our summer issue is on newsstands and uh, it's a great issue full of great tips for entertaining because of course this is the time of year when everyone's either trying to be a guest at a cottage or having guests up to the cottage. So great tips on how to be a great guest and how to host anyone at the lake, even the most challenging uh, relatives or friends of friends or whomever you've ended up with for the weekend. Um, And that's on newsstands now and uh, through the rest of the month. Michelle Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. As usual, we appreciate it. And um, enjoy the rest of the summer. Many thanks. You too. And when we come back, we've got more. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. As I said a little bit earlier in the show, we were talking about Vancouver, British Columbia, all sorts of things, the taxes that are being uh, now implemented for foreign nationalist buyers. And instead of us just talking from this side of the coast and trying to make sense of it, I'm really fortunate to have uh, my next guest. Uh, his name is David Ebby, and David Ebby is an MLA. He also serves as the New Democrat Official Opposition spokesperson for housing. And uh, David, thank you so much for joining us uh, today at Simply Real Estate. Thanks for having me. So, you know, here in Toronto, just so you know, we've been watch have a very watchful eye, obviously, for the last few years uh, on Vancouver, on British Columbia. You know, we always hear the stats. You know, you you know, you folks have been outpacing Toronto. You know, it's it's kind of funny. The, you know, most people in Toronto thinks the the world revolves around Toronto real estate, but by far the BC real estate has been you know the shining star for years. And now you've got you know the government cooling it off with a new tax that is brought in for foreign nationals. And can you can you kind of give me a breakdown in the lineage of how all this happened and why it's happening and what effect you think it's going to have on your marketplace? Sure. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, the Vancouver, Metro Vancouver real estate market has been described internationally as a freak show. And the reason for that is we've seen in some areas of Metro Vancouver triple-digit increases in a single year. So that's Tawasson, which is a suburb of, uh, of Vancouver. And uh, over the last 10 years, we've seen appreciation of 250% in our housing market. And what that means is house prices have become completely disconnected from local wages. Just to give Toronto listeners a bit of perspective, our market would have to drop by 50% or wages would have to double in Metro Vancouver in order for us to reach the same level of affordability that Toronto has right now. It's a bit of a tough comparison because Toronto has so many suburbs, but it gives your listeners a bit of an idea of how out of control things are when, when salaries are compared to house prices. Those are staggering numbers, by the way. And, and I'm pretty sure for a lot of our listeners, David, they're, they're listening to you saying, oh, come on, that's not realistic. But, you know, when you, when you look at your averages, your average is basically double or almost triple in a lot of cases as Toronto. Our average detached home in, uh, in Vancouver property 
proper is $1.5 million. The median household income is $77,000. So it uh, gets out of hand in a hurry. And a lot of the blame, I mean, people are looking around, who is responsible for this crazy disconnection between local wages and house prices? The blame is attributed in two places. One is uh, lending from the banks, and the other is international money coming into our housing market, which is fueling that domestic speculation that's backed by uh, by the banks. And so those two pieces together with land use policies have really been sort of the trifecta that people point to. And recently, we just had this tax dealing with international money. Well, you know, one of the things, just so you know, from, from a Toronto's perspective, and of course, we always try to follow all markets here. And one of the things that when CMHC did their inquiry, if you, if you remember, a couple of months ago, um, there was an inquiry done in the province of British Columbia, and they said, we want to figure out how many actual foreign nationals are buying. And of course, they always direct everything to China. Okay, that's that's the one thing, you know. And, and what they're saying is how many Chinese buyers are actually buying. And, you know, when we saw the numbers come out, and I don't know, you know, if, if, if the numbers were true or somehow they were masked, uh, but, you know, the overall reaction was, you know, 3 to 5% of all uh, acquisitions were being made by out-of-country buyers. And yet, your your real estate boards were saying you guys aren't even close. So, was there some form of I'm not going to call it a government cover up, or was it just a lack of true information, or why is it that there was such a disconnect on the amount of foreign ownership in connection with driving your market? Like, why did this all happen, and 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 is it true? Were the numbers correct? Yeah, that's, the three percent number was used a lot, including including by our uh, housing minister here in British Columbia. He said, "Oh, he talks to the industry folks all the time, and it was three percent at the low end, and at the most, it was five percent." Then the provincial government be, began collecting data, and they were collecting data in a way that was voluntary. You know, he checked off a box on a form if you weren't a citizen or, or permanent resident to declare. Uh, there was no uh, audit or anything like this done on on the self declaration, and even on that uh, self identifying form. In, uh, in Richmond, which is a suburb of Vancouver, 18% of the transactions were transactions by what the government is calling foreign nationals. Burnaby uh, was 17%. Vancouver itself, it was uh, 11%. So fairly significant numbers, literally billions of dollars in the real estate market. Now, those numbers are a bit tricky because they also include all of the people who are living, working, and paying taxes in Metro Vancouver on work permits. But it gave some idea about the scope of the issues that we're facing. When we take a look at, at now, uh, you know, the tax has been implemented. There was it, it seemed like a bit of a knee jerk reaction. It came on so quickly for some. You know, if people were looking at a sixty day close, let's say they sold the property in in you know end of June or perhaps beginning of July, all of a sudden it's knee jerk reaction. Here's your tax. There was absolutely no leeway given, from my understanding of how it was implemented. It is as of August second, anything that closes after that doesn't matter if the sale had precluded this. Um, they are now uh, going to be responsible for that tax. Um, do you think you're going to see a fallout for some of the transactions that are, had occurred already? Or do you think that these foreign nationals who are doing it, they're just going to suck it up and pay the 15%? Well, there were two approaches the government could have taken. Uh, one is uh, the approach they took, which is to put a tax on all people they identify as foreign nationals, that's people who aren't citizens or aren't permanent residents who are buying property at the time that the title is registered uh, in the land registry through the property transfer tax that we have here in BC. The other was to use the income tax system and say, okay, if you're paying your worldwide income tax here, it doesn't matter if you're a Canadian citizen or not, uh, then that's fine. But uh, if you're not paying your worldwide income tax here, you have to pay additional property tax. 
And that uh, model was proposed by a number of professors out at UBC at the Sauter School of Business and endorsed by 40 economists. So they, they chose this model that puts on a tax at the time of registration. The impact of that has been nothing short of chaos in the real estate market. Uh, the land registry crashed. There were so many last-minute uh, attempts to get uh, properties registered before the tax came into place. A bunch of deals that weren't able to get registered before the deadline that now suddenly had the tax imposed. So you can imagine somebody inks a deal. The, it's all over the news, people in this situation. Uh, inks a deal to buy a property. They're at the utmost of what they can afford. And then they find out after they've inked the deal that there's a new 15% tax that nobody told them about because it was secret uh, until the day it was announced that will apply to their deal. So people saying, look, I'm, I'm going to be having to walk away from my deposit on this. The people who they promised to buy from are threatening to sell them. And a number of these people are actually people who are living, working, and paying taxes in Metro Vancouver. They're just somewhere in the immigration pipeline, and they haven't made their way through yet. So they've been hit by the tax. Well, I also thought that perhaps you, you, you know, you've got your Vancouver resident who has now turned around, sold it to this person. The deal falls apart. They've already made a commitment to another property. So this is these these are actually Canadian citizens that are now going to be affected by this as well because now people are walking away from deals, perhaps, and now they're stuck and they're right in the middle. So, I, I, are you seeing that? Is this is is this going to be something we're going to see as a follow-up for the next, let's say, thirty, sixty, ninety days, or is it going to be more extensive than that? The Real Estate Association is saying there's somewhere around 3,000 deals that are sort of caught in this limbo area where the the deal was inked before the tax was announced and the deal closes after the tax is implemented because it was a very short turnaround between when it was announced and when it was implemented. It was less than a week. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I always take Real Estate Association numbers with a grain of salt because these are the same people saying that it was 3 to 5% in the market. So, uh, But in any event, even if the number's uh, a fraction of that, that's a fairly significant impact because uh, in our hot real estate market in Metro Vancouver, a lot of the deals are chained, which means, uh, as it's explained to me, that you know I sell my house and and I immediately go out and buy another house because I don't want to get locked out of the market. It's appreciating so rapidly, yep. and then that person goes and buys another house based on my promise to buy and so on down the line. So if you have one deal collapse, it can result in four or five deals collapsing down the line, which can cause real trouble for people. This can have a lot of repercussions throughout the system. Um, you know, as you said, one one deal collapsing can affect you know three, four, or five deals, but Again, now you're affecting, you know, the, the implication was that let's go after the foreign buyers, but now it's going to affect, you know, Canadian citizens. So I think... I. Well, exactly. And again, I thank you so much for coming on today because, you know, getting a little clarity here from the Toronto perspective, you know, we we take a look and read all the news, all the articles, but, you know, listening to you, I don't know if people really know what kind of storm you guys are facing right now, but it's it's, it's going to be interesting over the next few months. Well, I mean, you know very well that the real estate market is very emotional and it's a psychological market and people have fear of missing out and all these kinds of things. So this new tax and the disruption it caused in the market caused a lot of people who were thinking about buying to be standing on the sidelines to see what prices are going to do. There's the threat of, uh, of collapse of a number of deals. And there's also these folks who, I mean, and it literally is uh, appalling, who uh, want to be Canadian citizens who are living and working here, who brought uh, skills to our economy, who are now hit with a 19% tax and are looking at having to return home uh, with their dreams destroyed. And, and in, a, in an atmosphere, really, as a government, where we should be encouraging people to come and stay here, um, especially if they have the kinds of skills that some of the 
folks have that have been hit by this tax. So really, uh, if Toronto and, and Ontario are looking at taxes like this, they should learn from our example. Obviously, we didn't learn from Australia's example, and uh, and we pursued this uh, this method that's known for evasion and for all these kinds of problems. Um, and so uh, that was a decision made by the BC government, but I hope Ontario, if they're looking at it, and I've heard uh, Premier Wynne is looking at it, uh, they look at this carefully and avoid this kind of chaos if they can. Well, listen, David, thank you so much for joining us today. We greatly appreciate your time and, and shedding some light on this. Thanks for having me. And that was David Ebby. And when we come back, we have more. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Now, more of Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. By the way, you know, I really do want to thank uh, David Ebby. New Democrat official opposition spokesperson for housing in B.C. Awesome to get the actual opinion right there on the ground, finding out what people in B.C. and Vancouver are going through right now with this new introduction of tax. You know, we can sit back and look at Vancouver and say, yeah, whatever. You know what? They made so much money. Folks, this is going to be catastrophic for some Canadian residents in Vancouver when deals stop closing and they're stuck hanging on to two properties potentially. So there's this is something we're going to definitely watch. And so, you know, instead of me just talking about it just myself, um, as you all know, I've got a, a guest that joins me regularly, definitely a real estate expert, senior editor at Money Sense Magazine. It, of course, it is Romana King. And Romana, always great to have you here at Simply Real Estate. Great to be here, Todd. You might have heard my little bit of introduction there. We were fortunate enough to have one of the government officials out of BC join us just before you. He's saying that this, this is serious. This isn't just, you know, saying to, hey, a bunch of nationalists, hey, now you got to pay more taxes. It's going to be a real problem for people that have bought houses after selling their homes to these people. And his number came out at around 3,000 transactions that missed the closing of August 2nd. And you and I both know 3,000 transactions when you're only looking at a marketplace that may do in a month six, they're going to wipe out half of their transaction in a month, which is going to have a huge repercussion for everybody else. It's going to continue to be, to be felt because it's not just those 3,000 transactions, it's all the transactions that hinged upon that. So if those sellers had already bought and were committed to buying, that's going to maybe hinder or even prevent the sale of those homes. We're gonna, so we're going to see the fallout in months to come as well. Yeah, and, and it was interesting because he did, uh, you know, one of the comments to this whole thing was the fact that, you know, there was no no notice given. And, you know, you and I being in the field, you know, we've been tracking this for a while. We knew that they were going to do something to cool off the market. I got to tell you, I'm a little surprised. You know, I'm not so much surprised at the 15%, but I'm more surprised at the short notice that was given. I mean, it didn't let anybody prepare, get the slates clean. You know, didn't they didn't protect people in this one. They virtually just sat there and said, suck it up, eat it. And and the repercussion, it's going to happen. You and I both know it. So what do you think? Was, it, was the notice just too short or did they have to do it that way? They didn't have to do it that way. And I, I think one of my colleagues wrote a piece when it, you know, when the tax was first introduced, I talked to realtors and said, and people said that that was very biased because I talked to realtors. But one of the things I wanted to highlight was that realtors under, understand the practicality of a very short-term, huge change like this. And they understood that it was going to impact more than just foreign nationals buying. It was going to impact domestic sellers selling their home, who would also then impact other domestic sellers selling their homes. So, you know, we knew almost immediately that, you know, less than a week 
of notice was just too short a time. I had arguments saying that, you know, when you introduce taxes, there's never enough time. But I've never seen a tax introduced where you only have, you have less than a week to actually figure out how to implement it, go back to all those transactions that are pending and figure out how to actually notify, sort out, push, push them up, do whatever you have to do. Even when the GST was introduced or any other regulation has been introduced, you've always had some time, 30 days, something, to allow people to adjust and actually get all the paperwork organized. And I think part of it was just they wanted to get front and centers looking as looking as if they were doing something proactive. And by doing that, I think they've actually hurt their own marketplace. They've actually hurt their own voters trying to actually get in front of the voters looking like they're proactive. I agree with your analogy on it. And here's the other thing. When we take a look at standard closings in the marketplace, normally 30 to 60 days is a standard close. So, yeah. you know, we could be having a repercussion from the sales that were happening in May, June, July. And to turn around as you said, to have such a short notice. People weren't prepared for it. Apparently, the, they crashed the land registry system, um, which, which because everybody was trying to force it through, with, with, with basically registering or trying to register about 6,000 transactions in one day, the entire system collapses. So then you've still got people that can't register. You've got people that can't actually do the closing. So as, as I said earlier, so we've got these 3,000 transactions that are going to be now in question. But it's the backup transactions and everybody that's going to be affected by this. Because basically, when when people buy a property firm, meaning that they've waived all their conditions, they're normally out shopping, looking for the next property, saying, I've got a closing 60 days from now. Now we're going to go out and buy our house because now it's firm. And so, you know, I think I think that's what we're going to see. And I think in, in, in the case of some of your articles that you've been writing, this is this is going to be a big problem. It's going to be a huge problem because now they're legally liable. If they're left holding the house they thought they sold and they've signed a firm contract for a house they thought they were going to buy, they have to make a decision. You're going to have to either get bridge financing, which is usually a higher percentage on that mortgage rate, uh, or you're going to have to try and scramble and sell your home for less money. People have said that, you know, well, that's justified because we're trying to keep the foreign nationals who have all this money out and, and make prices more more reasonable. But crashing a market isn't making prices more reasonable. That's interference in a market economy, and, and there's a bit of a problem with that. I don't think that means that the government or the B.C. government or the federal government or even municipal government shouldn't intervene, but I think it needs to be done thoughtfully and proactively as, as opposed to reactively. When you react to something and slap on attacks quickly without seeing the ramifications down the road, there's a problem, and you're going to see that problem 30, 60, 90 days out. To be very frank, I thought it was very irresponsible. Um, I think that, as you said, knee-jerk a reaction uh, in this case. I mean, we we obviously know that the Vancouver market was quite heated. But, you know, when we take a look at inventory, and you and I have had this conversation before, one of the reasons why markets get driven, it's not just foreign buyers, it's not just interest rates. A lot of times, it's also inventory. So the lack of inventory in Vancouver itself was also dictating why the increase in the pricing. So when people are sitting there willing to pay the price and you have a shortage of, it, of actual inventory, we're going to drive a market. And this is what Vancouver's been feeling for years. So it's almost like they decided to negate the fact that, you know, they haven't been able to give enough building permits. There's not enough new construction. There's not enough, you know, resales coming into the market. So instead, they're going to go after the foreign buyer who's actually paying the price. And so I, th- I think that this is going to be a lose, lose, lose situation. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's definitely going to be a lose-lose. You know, the, the foreign nationals that had money, maybe they're knocked out of the market, and maybe because we saw that huge rush to try and do something to close before that August 2nd deadline, maybe it's, it's, an, it's an alert. Hey, we, we do need to do something about this. There are foreign nationals that have a lot of money that aren't taxed heavily. That tax is probably a very proactive way of, of dealing with that. But to do it in such a sort of a fast, ad hoc fashion, as if they're being, you know, really decisive, I think it really hurt the market, and it's going to hurt the market in a negative way. You're going to have people who were banking on a certain amount of money because they sold that home in that hot market and they bought another home. They're going to be stretched. You're going to have people that are probably going to sell at a loss because they need to get rid of you know, we saw this in 2008, 2009. There was a dip in the market in the, in the, the Vancouver condos. And at, at the six-month low, people took a bath. They couldn't get financing. They couldn't sell the house. They just took a bath. So you're going to hurt regular Canadians, regular, you know, Vancouverites that are just trying to make ends meet. Uh, they're not the, the direct result of what's going on. And you're right, you know, I think we've been talking to realtors for the last couple of months and they've said over and over again there's been a shortage of listings. Demand is starting to, to meet supply. Demand is starting to wane. The market was starting to correct itself, particularly in the hot, hot markets in West Van and Metro Van. Now you've had intervention, that messes up that market equilibrium that was going on. Yeah, I thought we started seeing a little bit of a stabilization. I think that, you know, we did, we, you know, even though they had a big run up in price in the spring, what we did see for, you know, a couple months there was a little bit of that stabilization. My biggest concern, of course, is the fact that, you know, to me, this is more reflective of 1989-90 when we had the major increase, you know, 30, 40 percent mm-hmm. in, in year over year, two years in a row, and then an absolute crash of the market where people were stuck. They had anticipated the market going up. They were buying properties, you know, going to their next level. And as you said, now... Now you've got people that are going to carry two properties, probably selling at a discount if that's the case. Or, you know, are we are we overanalyzing this and potentially will this normalize their market? Will prices go flat? Will it go backwards? I don't know. Um, you know, your take on it probably is, is, is a good one. So what do you think? Is this going to flatten their pricing or will we see kind of it normalize? Uh, I mean, the scary thing is that even before the introduction of this tax, we saw an almost 20% decrease in in sales, in the number of sales that were occurring in, in the, the Vancouver area. And that's year over year, it's July 2015 to July 2016, there's an almost 20% decrease in the number of sales. People have said, you know, the reason why that is is because there's not as much listings and prices keep going. Exactly what you talked about, you know, less, less supply, more demand, prices go up, but the demand was waning. So if you already had the market trying to correct so people were saying, you know what, we're not going to look for another year. We're going to step out of the, mar- the buyer's market. We're going to stop looking. The demand decreases. That pulls the, you know, the prices down, and you're going to have an equilibrium point. Now you've got the injection of this, this new tax, people scrambling, people scrambling to sell when they didn't want to sell, people scrambling to buy when they didn't want to buy. All of this is sort of hurt the so we're not going to know for the next 30, 60 days what is actually going to happen in the market. Then you're into the fall rush. So I think it's going to take another 120 days before we actually see what's happening in Vancouver because we've had, you know, we've had a hand go into that marketplace and, and manipulate it a little bit. Sure. Well, listen, Roman, always excellent to have you join us here at Simply Real Estate. I know you're going to come back on with us next week. Uh, you and I, um, I'm hoping we're going to talk about the impact on the Toronto market mm-hmm. and and what Vancouver is going to do there. And also we're going to talk uh, next week about some first-time homebuyer market and you know why people are waiting into the market. They're not waiting any longer. They want to jump in. So, Roman, always great to have you as a guest. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. 
Take care, Todd. So, folks, you know, it's always great to have a professional like Romana, uh, you know, join us. And so for us, you know, it's it's really getting a different perspective and always great information. Hey, by the way, you know um, the other week how we told you that our final release for 2016 is happening. Well, we've just got a few left. $99,900 gets you a three-bedroom townhome and a two-story out in southwestern Ontario. Positive cash flow, guaranteed tenancy. And um, there's only a few left. So if it's something you want to investigate, go to the simpleinvestor.com. And uh, remember, make sure you uh, make sure you look us up and you get more information. It's the last one for 2016. So uh, awesome, awesome project. Uh, I want to thank everybody here, my crew, for uh, putting the show together as usual and for you joining me. I always love talking to you about real estate, my favorite topic. So I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. And remember, you can join me next week here at Simply Real Estate at 4 p.m. on News Talk 1010.